inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Listeners gain the opportunity to connect with someone who may have had similar experiences and in the process may look at themselves differently. Facing adversity is not uncommon to women, but the stories of how some have overcome these challenges and achieved success inspires those still struggling to find their own purpose. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Please join in this important conversation with Susan Rocco, Mondays at 2 p.m. on WWDB AM 860 or anytime at womentowatch.net. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to be back in the studio today after a couple weeks off for the holidays. Um, and I want to give a quick mention, if, if you've missed any of my shows um, and like to check in on some of my past interviews, um, you can pick any of them up at my website, which is womentowatch.net. And that is with the number two, women, the number two, watch.net. Um, I'm thrilled to be in the studio today with a woman who's doing some really great work in the Philadelphia area, and her name is Susan Paul. And Susan is a speech and language pathologist, and she is also founder of Communication Imaging. Welcome to the studio today. Thanks, Sue. Really nice to be here. I'm I'm glad you were able to join me, and and it was kind of not last minute, but um, not something that we planned to do. Um, I'm thrilled to have you. I I would love to talk a little bit about your years growing up um, in the Northeast, which uh, Bell's Corner is the Mm -hmm. area that you were from, and talk a little bit about your family background. Okay. Well, as you said, I grew up in Bell's Corner, far greater Northeast, um, where my mom was a teacher at the local elementary school, and my father was the local dentist, the painless dentist, of course. Oh, is that his title? (laughs) Exactly. And uh, my two older brothers and some dogs and... Um, basically, I think that because of my parents' background, what they did for a living, it really had an impact on what I did with my life. Um, for example, um, I worked for my dad, actually, um, from the age of, I think, 13, and I was really interested in oral health at that point. Actually, I'm now married to a dentist. Okay. As am I. <laughs> uh, that's funny. And um, also, particularly my mother, um, being a teacher, I admired her. I saw her walking through the halls as I went to my kindergarten class, and um, I just admired who she was, what she did, how she helped so many of the kids in the school, and really became many of these students' uh, favorite teacher um, now on Facebook, she's connecting with all of them now, and they're oh, all so saying great. what an impact sh- uh, she made on their lives. That's so great. So she was a wonderful, wonderful role model in teaching me how to um, connect with children mm-hmm. and how to see the positive in every human being. Yeah. Did you, What area of teaching did she do? 
She was actually a fifth grade teacher. Um, she all subjects then. All I guess. subjects, yeah. but she specialized specialized quote unquote in social studies. Okay, and actually, um, she was my fifth grade teacher. And what was that like? <laughs> I mean, some kids probably would love that, and some would think, "Oh, especially it, if that's a tough age, fifth mm, grade." Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. it was awful. <laughs> Um, I hope she's not going to listen to well, this. She is. Hi, Mom, in sunny Florida. Um, anyway, uh, the reason it was awful, not because of her teaching ability by any means, but again, I had to call her Mrs. Fink. Yeah. Um, what was great is the way she was, though, with um, the first day of school where she uh, basically self, you know, disclosed to the class, my daughter is in this class. I, I can visualize it like it was yesterday. Oh, I bet. And uh, it, it was hard, and she was a, she was a tough teacher, which made her a really great teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, um, we had a personal problem in the family that year, and my mom had to leave um, in the middle of that year. Okay. So, as hard as it was for her to be my teacher, um, I missed having her as a teacher. But yet, when she left. I became a B student as opposed to a C student. So, oh, so there were oh some boy. positive in that. Right, right. <laughs> um, there was probably that worry about, you know, amongst the other students that they would feel that you were going to receive preferential treatment. Exactly. Um, whether you were or not, you know, they were going to assume that. So that's a tough place to be for a kid. And, that, and that's actually um, one of the, th- speaking of my mom and teaching, one of my fantasy um basically a fantasy world that I had growing up was I became a teacher in a fantasy world. And my name was Susan Roop. Roop. Yes. And where did that come from? (laughs) Good question. (laughs) R-U-P-E. R-O-O-P. R-O-O-P. From, I think, a Henry Higgins book. I don't know. Back then, I and I, I had an entire class. I knew each child's name. I knew where they sat. I wrote report cards for them. I it was That's bizarre, funny. and my mom, <laughs> my mom had um, all of the teachers' guides, and I had the children's books. Right, right. So all the books were at their tables, oh, at wow. their desks. All these imaginary people. It, oh, it's incredible. <laughs> A lot of young girls do. I mean, I certainly pretended to be a teacher on many occasions. You know, yeah. I think that's something a lot of girls do. Um, but anyway, so now at 13, you went to work with your dad. At th- 13, I was in eighth grade. Were you at, still in elementary uh, at, at that time? I'm not good at math. I'm very left brain, so I'm trying okay. to figure out. I don't know what grade I was in. Okay. Um, but that's young. And, and was yeah. that something you asked him to do, or did he kind of encourage no, you to come he, in and learn? I, he wanted me to, I don't think he wanted me to learn the business. I think he, they just wanted to keep me busy and out of trouble, maybe. Okay, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. But I, I did that. I was also active in some uh, children, um, Jewish youth groups mm-hmm. um, because actually when we actually moved from the Northeast to um, Lower Moreland, I guess around that age, because I remember driving with my father to work. And where was his office? His office was in Bell's Corner, and we lived in Lower Moreland. We okay. moved to Lower Moreland when I believe I was in either fifth or sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And the reason we moved was it was, I guess, a really good time to move for my family, not necessarily for myself, uh, being age 12 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the reason we moved was, I believe, Philadelphia school system went on strike. And my parents saw, I guess, the market rates were down then or something. The interest yeah, rates yeah. were down and mm-hmm. there was a strike. So it was a good time to move. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about your high school years. I, I know that you mentioned uh, you were involved in an internship in high school oh, yeah. um, that I think, you know, had a strong effect on, on what you, you know, decided to do later in life. Absolutely. Well, growing up, I always um, in, I always knew how to read people. And I was also very good in language at languages, learning languages. I went to Hebrew school. I loved it. I was one of the very few to this day that I know that really loved right. Hebrew school. And I think it's also because I, I loved the language mm-hmm. as well as um, connecting to something other than myself. Um, I also enjoyed helping those less fortunate. I always wanted, I had that dream of helping those less fortunate. Um, so... Getting back to the high school years, um, I was, my teacher saw that I was really good at learning languages, so I became semi-fluent in Spanish, um, and I decided I really want to take another language course, so I took French, and my teachers allowed that. I was the only one from my graduating class who did not take chemistry, Um because my teachers allowed me to take two languages. So wow. that, that was really, that was really wonderful. I- <laughs> yeah, isn't that <laughs> I nice? I might have done huh? that too if I had known. Exactly. <laughs> so it was, I think, in 11th grade when you're starting to plan for your career and what you want to do before you go to college. Um, I spoke to the counselor at school, and she connected me with a school down the street where I didn't internship, externship, I never understand the difference. Anyway, um, I would drive myself to a school on, I remember it was Comley Road, um, and I would teach Spanish to gifted first graders. Wow. Yeah, and that was just such a great experience for me. I mean, I I was giving to other kids. Mm-hmm. I was using my talent, and I it, it was great for my self-esteem. There's nothing like being able to help other people yeah. for well, me. But not only that, you were teaching without, you know, really um, any experience or background as a teacher. But what a wonderful way to learn how much you enjoy um, teaching children. Absolutely. But I must correct you. I was a teacher. I was Miss Roop. Do you remember? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. You were Miss Roop. Are you still Miss Roop? I think so sometimes. (laughs) Ask my children, my my biological kids. Sometimes I might act like Miss Roop. She's strict. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, let's, you know, we never have enough time to get through everything we need of to course. get through. So I want to move uh, ahead a little bit to your relationship with your dad, um, because I know that that's a big part of your story. Um, and your dad passed, and that was really difficult for you. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it was a part of determining, you know, your path. Talk Absolutely. to me a little bit about that. So I think it was approximately 16 years ago. I don't know. Um, my father died. And it, I was very, very close with both of my parents. I was really, really fortunate in that. Um, and when my father died, he died fairly suddenly. He was diagnosed with lung cancer. And a week later, he died. I have a feeling he knew that he had lung cancer, but he never shared it with anybody. 
Um, but anyway, he he died, and about three months after he died, I went to an, into a very deep depression. Um, I had to. I was basically crying constantly, and my boss at work at that time just said, "You got to do something for yourself." And I went for counseling. And during counseling, you know, as I said, I was very good at languages, particularly English, being mm-hmm. my native tongue, and. If for some reason, when I was in counseling, I couldn't come up with any feeling words except for happy, sad, angry, and scared. And, of course, a lot of counseling has to do with letting your feelings known and yes. letting them out. Yes. So, Where were you working at that time? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I was actually, oh, so I was working with adults who had experienced strokes Okay. Um, through healthcare rehab systems at the time. Okay, and you, so we I was should in mention, nursing facilities. Yes, that you received your degree from I, Temple, right? Mer- you went to University of Maryland, exactly. And, and what was your major there? Speech pathology. Speech pathology, and then you finished up at Temple, exactly. Okay, so you had that degree while you were working there, and I also then received my master's from Temple University. Yes. Okay. So while we're on that subject, I will go back. I promise. Okay. I do. Tend to scatter. That's okay. I promise. Um, so when I was at Temple University, I had an internship there um, as I was finishing up my degree, my master's degree. And I said to my professor at the time, I said, you have just witnessed me working with my last child I will ever work with. Because at the time, um, I loved the brain. I found it to be fascinating. And I really, really wanted to work with adults because at that time there was really nothing else that had to do with the brain in our field at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that was my opinion at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to work with traumatic brain injury and stroke victims. And I also felt that I wasn't very creative, and I felt that I had to keep kids motivated all the time, Mm. and I didn't want to do that. So anyway, long story short, I went on to work with adults. Okay. And where where was that? What type of environment? I worked at um, various nursing facilities. I also worked at a um, rehab company called Numedico, which is no longer in business, Um, there I met a great group of people, so I'm doing a shout-out to my new Medico homies. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so, so so Dad passed away. Oh, right, right, and, right. Yes, and, and it affected you deeply. Yes. Um, I mean, it, anyone who loses a parent goes through something, but it kind of led to, to some exploration, I'll say, for you. Absolutely. And talk a little bit about that. So I, as I was saying, I um, couldn't express my feelings very well. And lo and behold, it was around that time that I was working at a daycare or a preschool, I think it was a preschool, through a private speech pathology agency. And in needing to, in needing to help this child self-regulate, to kind of calm down, I saw he was anxious, he was nonverbal, um... I started to be able to validate for him his feelings, to help him. I don't know where that came from. Um, And here I'm getting a little teary. Um, I truly feel that there's a gift that everybody brings, and this was mine. Yeah, you know what? You you found that out of necessity for the child in front of you, but it really was probably always there. Absolutely. Always there. So— 
I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. So I, um, I basically began to validate his feelings. So I went back to the, my therapist, and through the weeks, I'm using feeling words, lo and behold. Like, the ones you were supposed to be using. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. Ha- um, besides happy, sad, angry, and scared, it was overwhelmed, annoyed, irritated, stressed, all of those words it that, all came oh out. my God, they came flooding out of my mouth yeah. because of this child who was nonverbal. Here wow. he gave me a voice. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, that's remarkable. Um, so what was the outcome of your work with that child? I'd, I'd love to know. I'm assuming that you, um, made a lot of headway with him or her. Him. Him. Yes. Um, you know what? It's interesting. I can visualize him and I can visualize the place. I cannot visualize what I did with him. I, I can't remember anything from then. And again, I, I believe it's truly because I was going through such trauma myself. Right. So I, I really don't remember too much. Yeah. What I do remember, because it's highly emotional, is that this is something I needed to do with my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it being that that was my first child with autism, I realized, okay, I'm loving this. I'm loving being with these children. What can I do? So I started to devour print. I started going to conferences and reading and basically teaching myself all about autism, right. spectrum disorders. And what year, do you recall what year that was? Oh, because um, I would, th- I have to figure out because my son's age, um, my youngest son is, uh-oh, he's not going to be happy if I forget that he's, I think he's, he's 18. So <laughs> so here I go with the numbers. I'm telling you, I'm not you good with boys, numbers. by the way. I do know that number. I have three boys, yes. <laughs> I know that. I mean... <laughs> And I think I know their ages, 26, 21, and 18. Okay. Sorry about that, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that that's you're not just a speech and language pathologist. You're also a mother and a wife. Oh, and you got that's that That's always right. very important to, to point out. And we'll talk a little bit about your family as well. Um, we're actually going to take a short break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be in the studio today with Susan Paul, speech and language pathologist and founder of Communication Imaging. We'll be right back. It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face-to-face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the mutual fund store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. 
The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at WPN at Villanova.edu or visit their website at Villanova.edu slash WPN. Go Nova! Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we're here at WWDB Talk 860, and I'm in the studio today with Susan Paul. And Susan Paul is a speech and language pathologist, and she is the founder of Communication Imaging, um, which, by the way, Communication Imaging, mm-hmm. where did that title come from? Good question. I'm, I actually don't like the name today. Okay. Um, where it came from is when I decided that I wanted to be a private practitioner I saw not my gift being helping people with autism, but helping people with their image. Oh, okay. I didn't know whether it had to do with that or actual that you use imagery as part of your therapy. Well, and it's interesting because the therapists that work for me like the name because of just that. And also imaging, you think of diagnostics. Mm -hmm. And I'm always doing diagnostics as I'm doing therapy. Right. So um, I wanted the word communication in there because I didn't want it to just be speech and language. Um, I am beyond just speech and just language. I love the communication aspect of it. Yeah. Well, and and of course, that ties into what that eventually leads to is the building of self-esteem. Absolutely. Right. And 
eliminating frustration, which comes from your client as well as their family. Um, I think that's important to talk about that, you know, you're you're teaching um, clients who have trouble with language. But if you don't have language, then you're not communicating with people in general. So what types of things do you do that um, directly affect the self-esteem of your clients? Um. Oof, and that's a loaded question, wow. I know. <laughs> Help. I, just, I mean, that's a really big part of what you do. Absolutely. Right? Aside from just the, the actual, um, I'm, I'm searching for a word, but the, the practices that you do, you know, day to day with your clients, the bigger picture is what it does for them and their image. I guess that's what I'm Absolutely. trying to say. So when, when clients come to me, um, at, I should say that I work across a lifespan. I okay. work with adults as well as children. Um, I'm going to focus a little bit more on the children Mm -hmm. um, because the parents are a huge part of what I do um, in helping the child. I help the parent because they're with this child 24-7, and I'm basically the facilitator giving them the strategies to provide for their child. Um, Most Children, when they have difficult, most people, I should say, when they have trouble communicating, they you will exhibit some behavioral problems. Mm-hmm. Um, we all do. When right. we're stressed out, we ch- our behavior totally changes. Yes. And what are the strategies that we can use to help ourselves calm down? Um, I teach parents that whatever we're modeling for their children. Whatever we're te- trying to teach their children, we need to model for ourselves. Right. So, for example, um, if you want your child to learn how to wait, which is an essential life skill, uh huh, um, they need to learn how to wait, which I have to say, quite frankly, as a speech pathologist, that took me years to learn how to wait and be quiet. Mm. That's t- Yes, that's tough for all of us. And not only that, I think today with the immediacy of everything, mm-hmm. um, we've probably developed worse patients because Absol- everything is so you know instantaneous. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Um, when you're working with your children, um, does any of the, the technology come into play um, because of the need for it? Uh, absolutely. Okay. In, in many, in various ways. Number one, I might work with a nonverbal child who's unable to communicate effectively and efficiently, um, whether it's verbal or nonverbal. And if, the, well, I was going to say, well, I'm talking about a nonverbal child, but even a verbal child who, who can't communicate effectively and efficiently might benefit from an augmentative alternative communication device it's to augment not to take over their communication, but to augment their verbal output. Um, so, for example, I might work with a child who needs help. I mean, and that leads to stress and anxiety mm-hmm. and therefore behavioral issues happen. So my job is to help alleviate that tension by providing them with some other mechanism to communicate. And that is through maybe an, um, an iPad. Mm-hmm. There are several programs on the iPad for what's called AAC, Augmentative Alternative Communication. Um, there's also other devices. So I'm, I personally am not a specialist in that area. One of my associates, actually a few of my associates um, who work for me, does that 
for us. Okay. Um, and then we also work with a picture exchange communication system, what's called PEX, where you have a pictured icon in place as a symbol for a highly preferred item, for example. If a child wants to play with bubbles and they can't point, they don't know how to point, um, and they know they want the bubbles, but they can't access the bubbles right. through verbal or nonverbal means, we teach them how to identify that picture as bubbles, that that's a visual representation of that object, and to take that picture and hand it to whomever can access the bubbles for them. Wow, that's fascinating. So they might have an inability to point to something, but to actually pick it up and give it to somebody is a a whole different way of communicating that message. Absolutely. And even the technique of picking that picture up is difficult. They know they, so we start with a hand over hand approach. Okay. How many associates do you have in the the company? It's interesting. Right now I have probably the least I've ever had, yet my business is bigger than it's ever been. Um, Because when I first started, I I probably had about 20 people (laughs) doing an hour here, an hour there. But now I have, I think it's about eight that um, work for us. Um, Thankfully, our office manager, Alexandra Cohen, handles all of, I'm a very poor manager. I'm more like a friend and a mentor. Mm -hmm. And um, she really, really, she's invaluable to me in terms of coordinating everything. All the administrative scheduling, everything. And that's a lot. How do you see that the, since you started the company, you know, there's a lot of talk about autism and children and adults on the autistic spectrum. How do you see the um, success of the research happening today as opposed to years ago when you first started your company? And and do you see it um, changing in a positive way? Are, there, are we finding out more and more about it? Um, oof. <laughs> You're asking some tough questions. Uh, Oh, my gosh. So uh, speaking of research, I just received my fourth consecutive ACE Award, which is for continuing ed. So um, I've done my research. Yes. Um, Thankfully, all the people out there are doing their research to help my practice, um, not my practice, but my clients succeed. I I basically call it practice evidence-based as opposed to research-based because I'm you know, my day is only 24 hours, right. so it's really hard to keep up with all of the research. Right. Um, I use a guru, Michelle Garcia Winner, um, through social thinking, and for any, um, I was going to say viewer out there, any listener out there who has a child on the autism spectrum, or anyone, whether you're on the autism spectrum or not, I highly recommend socialthinking.com. Um, it really helps people come out of themselves and learn how to, when we communicate, we're thinking about our own thoughts, but we have to realize that other people have thoughts as well. So I do a lot of that social communication aspect, that social communication piece, as I'm working with the actual speech, which is the verbal output, the expressive, the sounds, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And when I work with the language, which is the form, the grammar, the content, which is the vocabulary, and then the use is the big piece, which is the social communication or pragmatic language. Mm-hmm. So socialthinking.com, Michelle Garcia Winner, 
has really opened the door to many of us about how to think a bridge bridge between what we want and what other people want. And in working with a child with autism, this is crucial because we're teaching them play skills and social skills. And how do we do that? How do children play? What they do is first they share space and then they share objects and they have to learn how to access those objects, what they want. But beyond that, um, it gets into the fantasy play. Language plays a huge part in fantasy play. A child really doesn't, wouldn't be able to understand that a, a little object, a man goes into a car and that car goes to, let's say, work or the house. You need language in order to access these play skills. So if I'm thinking about a car and you're thinking about a doll, I need to notice what you're interested in while I'm thinking about what I'm interested in to learn how to bridge those two right. to become friends yeah, and to play. Yes. It's very complicated. It's so much more complicated than just trying to teach someone verbal skills, but that whole, um, you know, the person in front of you, what are their interests at that moment? You know, what's important to them? Thanks. I have a question for you. Um, I know one of the biggest um, parts of autism is, is sensory dysfunction disorder. Mm. Okay. So SDD, I guess it's called. My feeling is that all of us are somewhere on the spectrum when it comes to sensory dysfunction. In other words, some of us are highly sensitive, sight, sound, you know, and some of us are on the other end. Do you feel that's true, that we're all somewhere on there? Oh, my goodness. Are we ever? Um, And it's sensory processing disorder, SPD. Okay. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually, my main office, I have two offices. My newest one is in Royersford, but the one I'm speaking about is in Plymouth Meeting. Um, It's within an occupational therapy practice where I, as a, a speech therapist, have access to all of Jody Selickson, who owns Totally Sensational, and all of her colleagues, I have access to all of their knowledge as well as all of their equipment so that I can help self-regulate a client in order to better learn for themselves. And yes, I, for example, um, I am not, believe it or not, an auditory learner. You know, as a speech pathologist, you would think I'm better auditorily. Mm-hmm. I am a visual learner. I get my clients. Mm-hmm. Many of them are visual learners. Um, our brain our brain can only access so much, and we all learn differently. And that's right. really the beauty of you were asking earlier about parents and clients and my strategies. I really try and figure out what, A, motivates that client, mm-hmm. B, what their sensory needs are, whether they're hyper or hyposensitive to certain um, senses right? <laughs> and how they integrate all of that. Um, and I have to figure out, what did I say so far, motivation, sensation, and um, really what, what makes them tick? What, yeah. what, what, will, what gets to them? Right. How, how can will... I reach them? And exactly. it's different for everybody. Yeah, and I feel that, you know, if we're... It's very helpful um, for all of us to be aware of what our particular issues are um, as far as how we're affected by, um, you know, people and 
and sound and language, um, it helps us to be better communicators just in general. Um, I, too, am I'm more – I'm so visual, mm-hmm. very, very visual. Um, so learning for me, you know, the imagery that we talked about earlier, I find really interesting uh, because I have um, – uh, one of my past guests, what she did was she put together a book of images, and each image represents a different motivation, emotion, and uh, I think that's very helpful for some people. Yeah. And actually, it's interesting that, um, again, before you were mentioning about technology. Mm -hmm. And I see, and this is my own take on autism, uh, the positive take on autism um, for all of the the people out there who um, get down about it. Um, The positive aspect that I see is that they, their brains, in my opinion... Um, are technologically advanced, mm. and they are right in tune with the times in terms of our our own technology. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, you might have um, we need to see these our my clients' gifts. I have to see my clients' gifts because everyone brings a gift to mm-hmm. this world, and I need to see that gift and help the parents see that gift so that they can, as they're growing up, they can use that gift, whether they're verbal or nonverbal, they can give to society in some way, shape or form. And they might be our uh, programmer in the future. That's right. They might be our inventor. Um, We have to see how their brain works best and how they learn best, just like we all. We all have our positives, going back to my mom. Yeah. And, but it has to be fostered. It absolutely yes. has to be fostered. Yes, need a good, good teacher. That's right. And I'm making my parents really good teachers, but in a very naturalistic way. Mm-hmm. Um, from the time they walk in my door, I'm teaching them that anything, and this is so important for all of us, in my opinion, that anything that comes out of our mouths should be positive or neutral. And um, if we're feeling negative negatively, then we need to express it. And again, going back to being able to express it, I teach my clients those words. Whether my client is verbal or nonverbal, I'm teaching highly sophisticated language that they will need, for example, in in order to, again, self-regulate. They will need the word transition. Time to make a good transition because that's stressful for them. And I show them through modeling what a transition is. Um, I, I teach them the word overwhelmed, but I teach it in a nonverbal way. Men, much of my um, therapy is nonverbal, believe it or not. Um, so getting back to when the parents come in, I teach behavioral strategies from the get-go because behavior is communication. Communication is behavior. So I teach them that anything that comes out of their mouth needs to be positive or neutral And the positive needs to be specific. No more good job. I like the way you're sitting. I like the way you're listening. Mm -hmm. Thanks for waiting. In terms of teaching waiting, by the way, I do sign language. Um, I I teach certain skills through sign language, new words through sign language, not necessarily for the child and the parent to use the sign language um, expressively, but 
for them because our clients are not, are visual learners. I can say good waiting in that tone, by the way, using this the sign for waiting, mm-hmm. so that they can then realize that I'm pairing the visual with the verbal, and then later on I can back off my verbal, so that it's a routine. It's time to wait. Yeah. And um, so the behavioral strategy is the positive and the negative. When you're dealing with negative, Mm -hmm. you try to ignore as best you can. Um, If a child is pinching, hitting, biting, you have to keep them safe, look away and don't say anything because we don't want to reinforce negative behavior. We only want to reinforce positive behavior. So any attention that they get, they con- they perceive that as, as positive? Absolutely. Okay. We all do. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to take one last quick break. And when we come back, I'd love to ask you if you see, I'm sure you do, but a difference between the uh, girls and the boys as far as social. Great. We'll be right back. The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at WPN at Villanova.edu or visit their website at Villanova.edu slash WPN. Go Nova! Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest-growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need. It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face to face not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the mutual fund store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. 
store shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, Wealth Management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back to Women to Watch here. Uh, I'm Sue Rocco, and I'm in the studio today with Susan Paul. Uh, Susan Paul is the founder of Communication Imaging, and she's a speech and language pathologist. Um, I'd love to talk about uh, this last part of the show, exactly what your practice is all about, what your services are, and what you do. Okay. Um I'm one of many speech pathologists within the practice, as I mentioned, and it's in located in Plymouth Meeting. We provide individual services as well as um, groups. We have social communication groups. Sometimes we do it, uh, we co-treat with an occupational therapist, and sometimes we do it just by ourselves. Mm-hmm. We also provide workshops within the practice. Uh, we go to, we consult with schools. Um, we have what's called a kid connection where it's if a parent is looking for someone that their child can connect with um, we could provide a dyad so to speak so it's somewhere between individual and group they're Mm -hmm. not ready for group but we kind of match so that they can have kind of a um, a structured play date okay but the play date is speech Therapy. Okay. And I say speech therapy, I mean speech and language therapy, obviously. Okay. Yes. Um, we have a lending library for our families. I think it's really important to keep our families educated. Mm-hmm. So not only do we provide the workshops um, and they're in our therapy sessions, but they're, they have access to everything that we have access to. Um, what else do we do? Um, just, again, consultations with schools. We... Work with a multi-sensory approach and in, in, um, with a whole team. So sometimes in my practice, the families will have their behavioral specialist come in and learn from me. Um, I go to people's, to schools mm-hmm. and educate their teachers and their staff. Uh, just as much as possible uh, to... Help that child in every environment because if I'm only working in my little vacuum, just right. uh, I'm really not doing much for this child. Right, because it's that's it's really important. I think to talk about you're not bringing a child in, doing one on one, and forgetting about the rest of their um, environment. Absolutely, right? it's so you know, critical. It's, a, it's such a community. Um, awareness that's needed. Everybody needs to be educated mm-hmm. around this child. Absolutely. Sometimes, actually, um, their sibling, I'll tell the parent, right. make sure that I'm including, you know, bringing they the know child what's going in. on. So, but also to um, teach 
how to teach my client how to play with their sibling. Right. That's the most familiar youngster in this child's life, and I need to make sure that I'm helping them learn how to bridge in their play. Right. So do you actually bring siblings, parents, whoever the family members are, and kind of role play? Sometimes we do role playing if it's a higher level child. Absolutely. Um, we also, again, with adults, we do a lot of role play. Um, I, <laughs> this is funny, in my therapy, I actually laugh at myself as I'm doing it. I, I really have fun. Um, sometimes I'm Miss Sue, sometimes I'm Sue, and sometimes I'm Susie. Oh. So I will actually tell the client, I'm Susie now. I am not Sue. I'm not Miss Sue. I'm Susie. And I'm going to say, no, I want that toy. And I'm going to act just like your friends are going to act. And I'm going to chase you and, and or you're going to chase me. And if I go another direction and you're not following me and you're not noticing me, I'm going to go away. You know, they have to know um, it's again, it's not just the verbal and the speech and language. It's a lot of nonverbal noticing the little innuendos in my voice, um, as well as in my posture, in my facial expression. I teach them how to notice yep. and I have them use the traffic light, which we all need, by the way, to stop. It's red, obviously. Um, yellow. And thankfully, many of my clients' favorite color is yellow because that's where you should spend the most time. You should not only just stop, you should think and wait mm-hmm. and then make a decision to go. Yeah, it's it's tough to teach perception, right? You know, you can teach the language and, and the ways to communicate, but trying to teach these children to, to be perceptive of what's around them, that's a tough thing to, to teach. Particularly when they're dealing with all of the sensory yes stuff that they have to deal with that right. causes, trust me, major anxiety and anxiety. Yes, um, yes. Uh, you know, you're talking to someone with high anxiety. Um, many people who might be listening and know me, they're like, what? You seem like, but I have, I am major anxiety. And um, it's through, again, it's through my kids that I have become uh, in I, I really have grown in that way um, that I have become less anxious because they've taught me, because I've had to teach them. Yeah. What things do you use or do to help with your anxiety? I think a lot of people suffer from anxiety, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't know it. Um, what types of things do you do to help I work with that? You work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally, I'll tell you. It's, so you pay no attention to yourself, and you just put it on everybody else. I have to tell you that when I'm in, at work, when I am doing my work, I am totally out of myself because I have to notice every little nuance that I have to notice. Right. And again, I'm modeling the behavior that I expect from them. Yes. So I have to notice. And therefore, I am totally out of my you're self. I but am what totally you, relaxed. What are you doing when you're not working? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, I relax by, first of all, enjoying my family. Which, right. Uh, right. Oh, my God. Amazing family. And Cosmo, got to mention my dog. I run. I thought you meant a Cosmo. Oh, well, that too. (laughs) Cosmo, my dog. And um, I run. I love running, listening to music and... um, And singing. Oh, yes, I sing and read, yes. Yes, and you did mention during the break that you would give an example of 
um, a song that you use in therapy. So I'd love to hear that. Okay. Um, I'm, I learned it through Discovery Toys. Um, it's called Sounds Like Fun. And it people can find it on YouTube. I think it's a really important tool for that I use for nonverbal that I help for nonverbal clients that I help talk. Actually, it's amazing how it works. Um, I take, again, a visual, whether it's a book or a puzzle, and I sing the following song. And this is not my best voice, just so you know. And it's morning. (laughs) (laughs) Apple, apple, ah, ah, ah. Apple, apple, ah, ah, ah. Baby, baby, ba, ba, ba. Baby, baby, ba, ba, ba. And it goes on and on till obviously, Z. And... I cannot tell you how many of my clients have become verbal because of that song. Yeah. You know, I feel I've heard that before. Has, that, is that song? A, yes. Okay. I mean, has it been around for a while as I, well, far as being used for therapy? Um, you know what? I actually, when I first saw it and used it, it was as my kids were growing up. Mm-hmm. My oldest is 26, so I think I, I bought it when he was probably two years old, maybe one year old. Um, and then I saw it at conventions, you know, where they have all the, um, I forget what they're called. I have word finding issues. Those tables where you buy things. uh, Exhibitions. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And that, by the way, that's a strategy for word finding. If people have trouble finding the word, they have to describe. Yes. yes, yes. (laughs) Well, no, I actually, as as you're singing it, I'm flashing back. I'm sure I had a little cassette tape. Uh, that I yes. played in the car when my kids were little. Yes, like and now I have the DVD. But now for, it's going to be in my head all day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I, you know, I wanted to talk a l- briefly about type, some of the things that you do outside of uh, work other than running and singing or things that you enjoy. Um, you also sit on the board for the children and youth of Montgomery County. What types of things do you do with them? Yeah, so um, basically I've had a wonderful opportunity in working with them. I'm fairly new to the board, just beginning uh, just a few months ago, so I've only been to a few meetings. Mm-hmm. I find it to be extremely rewarding. Um, it's the Montgomery County Office of Children and Youth, um, where not only am I meeting new people and connecting, which is obviously a huge value of mine, but another huge value of mine is personal growth. And I'm learning... Um, I, I've always wanted to be on a board. I've been on the synagogue board. And then when this came to me, um, I needed a new board to sit on because I had been on my synagogue board for, I think, 11 years. Um, but right now, I'm really not doing much except providing my voice, mm-hmm. um, given my history, my own personal history with children, mm-hmm. as well as my professional history with children. Um, and and uh, just trying to make the world a better place in some kind of way. But one of the one of my goals was always to help people who from lower socioeconomic statuses who don't have access to all of the wonderful things we have access to, mm-hmm. um, including really um, because of the stressors in their world. It's it's not easy. And therefore, it's hard for them to communicate in in an effective way to make their own needs met appropriately. Right. Or what Mm. I call now, using Michelle Garcia Winner's words, in an expected manner. Mm. Um, Just in my practice, I teach people how to play and talk and communicate in an expected way. Excuse me. I want to help 
the world um, in some way, shape, or form to learn how to communicate in, in an expected way. So I'm hoping to, through the OCY, the Office of Children and Youth, to somehow lend that to citizens a, of Montgomery County. Yeah, a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that you will. I know that you will. I hope so. Yeah. Um, we're at the end of the show, if you can oh believe it. Oh, my goodness. See how quickly that went? Yeah, um, almost as quickly as my uh, hour therapy sessions run. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping you take something away from this Absolutely. experience. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh, Thanks sure for you having will. me. Um, can you give contact information for the listeners who might want to get in touch with you from the show? Sure. Again, it's communication imaging. So my phone number is 610-564-1127. And you can also call Alexandra Cohen. Her number's on that voicemail. And my email is s as in Samantha, P as in Peter, A-U-L, at communicationimaging.com. And we have a webpage, www.communicationimaging.com. Follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook as either Susan Paul or Communication Imaging, and uh, Twitter. And Twitter. I'm actually uh, Susan Paul, A-U-T, as in autism, S is in Samantha LP, stands for Speech Language Pathologist. Susan Paul Ott SLP. Okay, terrific. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me oh. today, Susan, and keeping me warm from this cold. I know. I know. It was wonderful. I'm really appreciative of you coming in and talking about a really important topic and, and the great work you're doing. I'm anxious to see what happens from here, moving forward with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. Again, my name is Susan Rocco, and feel free to call me anytime with questions at 215-313-5561. Have a great week, everyone.